0: Minagawa says that him and Yoshida and Matsuno were all watching what I am going to guess is a Japanese game show. Yeah. (laughs) But he said that they were watching the TV and they saw live action, like people dressed in suits of armor playing chess with themselves as the chess pieces. Yeah. Right. And that apparently is what gave them the idea to do Tactics Ogre, to take the Ogre Battle Series um, idea, concept, and move it towards this more chess, Turn tactical based, uh, yeah. based kind of system. Right.
1: Hello and welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike.
0: My name's Kayson.
1: We're both here in the new space. Yes. Um, it's really tight, but it's working <laughs> so far. <laughs> we got our three cameras set up, everything's working. Um, this is where we're going to be here for the next two or three months until we get uh, the bigger podcast space finished out. But um, in the meantime, we're going to be covering Tactics Ogre, uh, a game that I have been looking forward to playing and have had on like the docket to play for a long, long, long time. I'm a huge Yasumi Matsuno fan. He's the director, um, of course, also yeah. after this game left quest to go work for Square Soft right. where he made Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story both of which we've already covered after that was Final Fantasy 12 which we will eventually cover yeah I'm a huge fan of his work so this is a game I've been wanting to play for quite a long time it's been heavily anticipated uh, by many people following us now we have not played this game before nope. I have played through like the first chapter in the past but never like a deep like long playthrough, and certainly never beaten it. Mm-hmm. So for this uh, series, we'll, we, we will be joined by one of our patrons and um, uh, followers on Discord. His name is Orc Brand, who is our sort of like resident expert on tactics ogre in particular.
0: On all things ogre.
1: On all things ogre. Well, at least tactics ogre. I, I haven't asked him about ogre battle. Yeah. Um, which was the game that Matsuno worked on before tactics ogre so this was like his second um but he did uh leave me with a document because he couldn't be here today this week is kind of a difficult week Uh, big holiday in the united states thanksgiving so uh thursday friday were our usual days for um recording or or no go for this week so we had to kind of set up last minute here on a wednesday afternoon So um, anyway, he's going to be joining us for the rest of the series, but I've got his notes here and he's the one who has sort of set up a guideline for where should we should we play up to each week and all of that. So I want to go over everything that he has sort of set up there, like the the work that he's uh, put into that, because I wouldn't have any idea where to tell you to play to or (laughs) how long that might take to get there or anything like that. So um, I've got his document here, and I'm going to just kind of read out what, what he's laid out here. So he, there's there's three different, like, routes that the game takes based on choices you make. Um, and so in, in what he's detailed here, we would basically be able to go through all of them and cover all three on the okay. podcast. And it wouldn't be, like, too many episodes. I think he's thinking something like ten Okay. Or maybe eleven total.
0: That I wouldn't. I didn't think this would be longer than Final Fantasy Tactics.
1: How long was Fire? I don't remember how like many episodes six, we did on it was that. Like six episodes. Yeah, Final Fantasy Tactics is just has the one route though. So oh, okay, okay. There's just That's only funny. there's only really one gotcha. way to play okay. it. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, okay. So anyway, he's uh, he's laid it out that it looks like we're gonna do what he's labeled as N route first then C. I know C stands for chaos and then L last. Um, So these are the three endings. I'm not seeing where he's like labeled what those mean. I just know the C means chaos, but um, there's what's called the assassination ending, the Gilbald ending, and the princess ending. And we're going to do them in that order. So... That means uh, episode one would be background and dev history, which is what we're doing today. By the way, for those of you who are joining us, this is your first time ever watching our podcast. That's the way we typically structure it. We'll do development history on a game first so that we can kind of learn who the creators and artists are and what their inspirations were for making this and why they did and kind of what they were trying to achieve. We do that as our first episode, and then we break each episode after that into chapters sort of like a book club format so that everyone watching can play up to that point, And then we come discuss it and then we move on to the next point. So it's looked like the way he's got this broken down is that episode two. So for next week we would just play through chapter one and there are no choices to make in chapter one for those okay. three routes. So just beat chapter one and that's it.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: Um, the following episode, for episode three, we would do chapter two. He he labels it C, so I'm guessing uh, the chaos choices. Um, but we'll get to we'll get to what you should do for each episode after that Kay. next time. But for now, just know that we're going to get through all the way through chapter one, and that's basically all we'll be discussing next time. Makes sense. Ooh. All right. Well, speaking of Yasumi Matsuno. Um, He's a beast. Yeah, we've covered three, three or two Yasumi At Matsuno games. At least two. Tactics, Final Fantasy Tactics, I mean, and Vagrant Story. And Vagrant Story, yeah. um, If you've never played a Yasumi Matsuno game before, it's nice to kind of have some reasonable expectations for what you can expect. Yeah. Um, they tend to be very difficult games very like tailored towards a more hardcore gaming audience. Yeah. And they can be frustrating if you don't know kind of some tips beforehand. This is why for both Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story, before we started the podcast series, I made a 10 tips on what you should know or how to get started or how you should play these games so that you don't get too frustrated. Uh, Because I haven't played Tactics Ogre, I can't make that video. Um, I had played Vagrant Story before, but we had another uh, audience member, Chocolate Rob, kind of help me with the tips for right. the Vagrant Story one. And Ork Brand has laid out in his document here, you know, some things you should know before playing. And so I want to read those now in the podcast. And this may end up being its own video. It may not. It kind of depends on whether or not I'm just like sitting here reading somebody else's notes and have no idea what I'm talking about, which Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable doing as a video. (laughs) Because at least with Vagrant Story, which Rob helped write that video, I had played the game. right? So I kind of knew what he was referring to and could kind of put things in my own words or whatnot or add to it a little bit when I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I'm gonna read some of his general tips here. So number one, status effects are king. I like it when games do this, okay? Because in a lot of RPGs, like the status effects are there, but like you can kind of just ignore them or like deal with them, but uh, it's not a pressing thing. Like for for now, I'm playing Mario RPG, which is very much tailored yes. as a beginner's RPG, yeah, right? Yeah, status
0: effects aren't aren't so big there, yeah.
1: Well, I don't even know they if they exist. Yeah, I guess you can. Yeah, but you can, you
0: can go to sleep or you can, yeah.
1: And I'm guessing you can cast those on enemies. Um,
0: okay. I did a thought peek. Well, through items, I think. But yeah. I did
1: a thought peek on nice. somebody who said, I just want to go to sleep. And I thought that that was a hint for, like, he's weak to the sleep status oh, effect, I mean, and I could use that. Yeah. But I didn't need to do it. <laughs> <right>? It <laughs> yeah. wasn't like... It wasn't like it would have really helped in the battle, right. necessarily. It's not that convenient. So as a beginner RPG, and FF7 is this way too, there are no permanent status effects in mm-hmm. either of those games. When the battle ends, the status effect goes away. Right. So you don't walk around walk around poisoned. Yeah, like yeah. in Pokemon, your Pokemon get poisoned, <laughs> you're trying to rush to the town to heal them before they die, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, so, but in this game, status effects are really important. So you, you, you really should take advantage of them. You really should uh, use them. Um, the enemy does not know how to use them effectively. The player must, he says. Keep in mind mm. abilities that cause an attack to always hit with 100% accuracy will also always activate the attached status effect. So if you have oh, okay. some ability uh, or some uh, you know, attack you want to use and it's going to be a 100% accuracy, if you've mm. got your poison status effect attached to that attack, or that sword or whatever it might be, that means it's always going to hit with 100% accuracy. You'll always poison the enemy, yes. or you'll always put them to sleep, or you'll always whatever it is. So that's that's a really good tip to know. I, I, I could see that being really effective. Look out for warrior and archer who have passive abilities like vigorous strike and eagle eye that grant 100% accuracy with melee and ranged weapons to nearby mm-hmm. units. So uh-huh. imagine you're playing as an archer class, and you can shoot poisoned arrows, or sleep arrows, or paralysis arrows that have a 100% accuracy rating. I mean, then Very from valuable. afar, you're basically poisoning yeah. people. You know, so that's something he's. He it seems he's saying is really important to do. Nice. So he goes over a little. He goes over some of the. Um, he goes over some of these status effects in particular. Poison is the best status effect in the game very few things are, are immune to this very few enemies are immune to this this will give you a lot of damage over time poison cloud is aoE so the ability poison cloud will is an area of effect spell uh, I see. available very early in the game and it will be a staple uh throughout uh, one-handed sword users will be able to inflict this with their second finisher uh, okay I'll just kind of leave it at that I won't get into all like the, the super details that'll go into the video later if i do it Stun is the next one he goes over. This ability gives the enemy a fifty-fifty chance of stumbling. It is not a guarantee, but it is very easy to inflict with paralysis wave, another area of effect spell. And then silence, self-explanatory, works just like Final Fantasy Tactics, prevents spell casting. Great versus enemy healers. So a lot of times in games like this I might want to like go after the enemy healer and try to like kill them yeah. so that they won't but right. if you can just Silence them with an archer from a distance, you know, you, you might not have to worry about it as speak much. they spells. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. Sleep. This is a niche application. Phalanx is an ability that reduces incoming damage by 90%. You can cancel enemy wow. out of this state by putting them to sleep, but otherwise, it will cause the enemy to waste some turns. Um, Breach. This reduces enemy defenses. Extremely important and key to bosses breach. Uh, So just reducing their defenses is important for bosses. So bosses probably have a lot of HP, a lot of defense. Um, Frightened is the last one. The only other effect that breached, other than breached, that reduces defenses. So look into those. The second tip he has here, and this is the last one actually, uh, infinite money exploit. Which some of you may be against using, so consider it, and if you don't want to do it, then don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, infinite money exploit. Some players may not want to use this, but it's been confirmed via Matsudo's Twitter that this was intentionally left in the game as a gift from the developer.
0: So it's not a bug. It's not a glitch. No.
1: So you don't have to feel guilty like you're cheating when using (laughs) this if the developer, on purpose, put it in there for you to use to help, right? Um, this will make the game slightly easier. He puts slightly in bold. (laughs) by giving, one, uh, giving someone access to infinite consumables and, and easier time with crafting. It will not necessarily remove all the challenge from the game for most players. I recommend this option for players who want to minimize their time investment, but purists will avoid it. So, early in Chapter 2, you gain access to the crafting system. Midway through Chapter 2, or if you somehow miss it, at the beginning of Chapter 3, you will unlock a recipe to craft blowguns. Most of these blowgun recipes will be craftable directly from the store using materials buyable at the store, eventually in the case of something like Peridart. Uh, that must be the name of one of the blowguns. Blowgun sale price is greater than the price of crafting them, with the biggest ratio being from the Balder blowgun. So if you craft the Balder blowgun, you can sell it for more than it costs to craft it. Nice. Craft as many Balder blowguns as possible, sell them, you now have more money than you had before you crafted them repeat as necessary for infinite cash. Mm-hmm. So if you're needing money, there's a tip for you. So basically his his tips seem to boil down to use status effects, particularly poison as much as possible uh, on enemy healers, silence them. Um, you can use specific abilities from warrior and archer class to inflict those with a 100% accuracy. So take advantage of that. And then if you need money, craft blowguns and sell them. Okay, Uh, that does it for the tips on how to play the game. Okay. So let's get into developer interviews a little bit here.
0: So is this new version, the the Reborn, this uh, new release of Tactics Ogre, is it as difficult as the original release of the game was?
1: So I don't know because I haven't played it. I would guess no. I would guess no. Usually, it's usually... It's because games today are given certain quality of life upgrades, like the ability right. to save mid-battle, or that's a big one. Because things for, like that for
0: tactics Ogre, according to a lot of the developers, um, because I haven't really played the game yet. Yeah. When you lose a battle, you just go back to the beginning, right? Like yes. You, it, it goes all it it kind of like resets. Resets the, the whole that, thing. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: So I can't remember off the top of my head right now. I was not expecting that question, so I didn't prepare for it. Awesome. But I believe that there is like a save mid-battle type ability in the brand new one, like the m- yeah. latest remake, remaster version that came out. Um, so, you know, but, but there's... As far as I have looked into it, there's actually significant mechanical differences gameplay-wise between all three versions of the game, mm. whether you're playing the original SNES version or the Let's Cling Together PSP remake yeah. Or you're playing the new 2022 or 2023? I don't remember when it came out. 2022, I think. Um, remaster. So, okay. um, which version you decide to play? Um, maybe I should make a video on that. Maybe I should do some research and be like, which video? A bunch. Yeah, which which um, which version of the game is there's optimal at least, for there's you at to least play? Like four yeah. different
0: versions of this game. Yeah.
1: So. Um, Maybe I'll look into that, and maybe I'll do a video on that, and maybe kind of pair it with this, like, tips video to, like, help people decide which version they want to play alongside us. But for this podcast, we, we're mostly just analyzing the story anyways. Right, yeah. So the story is going to be the same between them. Like yeah. you were saying, um, the original Super Nintendo version was not officially localized in the... In, United States or in North America uh, English territories. So you'd have to rely on fan translations if you wanted to play that. Those might not be optimal, necessarily. Right. Um, But whether you want to play the Let's Clean Together version or the new remaster will probably depend on your particular preferences for the gameplay mechanics which are different. I have seen people on one side or the other in terms of which one they prefer or whatnot. So... Just keep all that in mind. I'm going to be playing the new remastered version um, for this podcast series. You were going to play the Super Nintendo version, but now you're not sure about that. Well, I'm
0: questioning. I I have played just the very beginning of the game now, and I've just questioned some of the translation. (laughs) Yeah. And so it just kind of makes me wonder, eh, maybe it would be better. I've got the Japanese script pulled up, though. So we'll see if I continue. Yeah.
1: and if you agree with any of their translation choices. <laughs> so,
0: so far, not really. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay.
1: Well, yeah. Um, so those, those are the versions we'll be playing. Um, you were watching. You, you, I actually I didn't did. see this. You were watching a little interview yeah. with. Well, let's go over who Minigawa. the developers were for. Let's talk about Hiroshi Minigawa and yeah. everybody involved. Because a lot of these guys actually moved on with. Yasumi Matsuno to they square did. after this.
0: Square poached him. So Matsuno himself was um, had some disagreements with uh, what Quest was doing and the way that yeah. the upper management was kind of running things. Yeah. And I tell you what, if you are an executive over a bunch of creatives and you have some very talented creatives who do very good work, let them just just don't don't insert yourself too much. <laughs> let them do what they do. Otherwise, you will lose them. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened here. Um, square was able to. Easily poach Matsuno. It sounds to me like Matsuno wanted to leave before the game was even. Yes, done. he was like, but he just wanted to finish it out. And what this dev, this dev team had fifteen people. by the Yes, way. fifteen people. Yeah, I. Oh man, it's great. But good for old them, days for them. He decided to continue it out. Right. He's right. like, we're going to finish the game. I'm not going to leave anyone, you know, high and dry. But. I'm bringing some of you with me mm-hmm. <laughs> when I go to Square Enix mm-hmm. uh, or Squaresoft, as it was at the time. Squaresoft, Um yep. So that happened. Um, Matsuno, of course, we've talked quite a bit about him, but um, Yoshida and Minagawa, they're still at Square. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: I think Hiroshi, Hiroshi Minagawa was actually the guy who ended up taking over Final Fantasy XII That's right. when Matsuno left yeah. Square Enix.
0: And I would assume that Matsuno had something to do with that that it wasn't the yeah. executives who decided the next it was like no this is this is matsuno's friend for the last 10 years yeah they i'm, I, I'm pretty sure that it was like hey let this guy do it i think well. the
1: idea was he had been working with matsuno for so long and knew yeah. his mind so well that he sure. would be the best fit to try to see this particular project that is final yeah. fantasy 12 through to uh, you know uh, the conclusion through the finish line um, but he he's still at square and Akihiko Yoshida, who does the character designs. Yeah. Minigawa was like the art director yes. for Tactics Ogre. Yeah. Um, he also worked on Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story. He worked with Matsuno on all of his yeah. projects. Uh, even on Ogre Battle before this, too.
0: That's right. Uh, more specifically, the um, like the 3D environments and all yes. of that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, whereas I think Yoshida was more of the... Um, like the portraits character and art. characters and yeah. concept and all that stuff right. yeah
1: um but uh yoshida is i mean currently like with business unit i think it's business unit 3 in square enix that works on final fantasy 14 and final oh, fantasy yeah. 16 yeah. so he did like all of the uh art direction and character art and stuff for final fantasy 14 so he's still very much like a prominent figure at yeah. square enix
0: and uh, um, matsuno has um, as a freelancer, I guess as yes. a contract, yes, yes, he has still worked with Square Enix yes. off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the but he is not an employee. He is no. he is you know doing he's his own
1: doing thing. his own thing now. Yeah. Um, and then also the composers, but particularly Hitoshi Sakimoto, oh, yeah. Sakimoto is the one who did the the music for Ogre Battle Tactics, Ogre Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy Twelve. <laughs> like he basically. Yeah did all the music for Matsuno projects. So there's kind of like this core group yeah. where you got Matsuno as the director and the writer of the story. You've got your art department headed by Hiroshi Minigawa and Akihiko Yoshida. And then you've got a uh, composer, Hitoshi Sakimoto, like those kind of four were sort of the core yeah. of the Matsuno led projects through the nineties leading up to like final fantasy 12. Um, and they all got their start together at Quest, working on Ogre before they went yep. to, to
0: SquareSoft. So, so Minagawa, he gave an interview to. Well, it was posted on GameSpot. That's where I saw it. Yes. And unfort, this was very frustrating. It the video is titled um, Tactics Ogre Development. A diary number one. It had mm. number one attached to it. Oh. And I was like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of these. This is going to be sweet. Yeah. And it was, I think it was like 12 years ago. It was when the PSP version came out. I'm uh, pretty sure. yes. And this was like, okay, let's, you know, let's get all the hype ramped up for this new version. Um, and that's it. There's just number one. And that is it. There is no number two <laughs> that I'm aware of. It's not on GameSpot, at least. Maybe it's somewhere else.
1: I wonder <coughs> if that was like a game developer diary number one. But they went to some other completely different. Oh,
0: something else. Number two. Yes. I looked up his name and the name of the game, and it's yeah. just, This is it. <laughs> this is that's
1: probably just an interview with these guys as Diary One. But then they went to some different franchise, some oh, a different, whole different game. game. Okay. And okay. with different creators as developer, Diary Two. That's that what makes being, what sense. My guess. This would be. was
0: such a short video, though it was like ten minutes long. Um, but Minagawa, and mostly he just talks about the remake, the, the redo for the uh, PSP. Yeah. Uh, but at the very beginning, he does give a little bit of a, a fun little. Uh, clue when he as he talks with Matsuno and it's so funny because it takes him a long time to really say this but basically he just wants to convey that he was very stressed out when, when this game first came out in on my ninth birthday is oh when this goodness. game was released October October 6th, sixth nineteen ninety
1: five you know what's funny about is when that.
0: this game came out in Japan
1: uh, one of the first things that Yasumi Matsuno said in this interview with yeah. that's on Smutulations. This was from 1995, so it's an archive of a 1995 interview. Mm. It took us two and a half years to make. I'm really, really tired.
0: <laughs> yes, there you go, there you go. But this is this is how the game industry goes. Yeah, specifically in Japan, this is just how things work. Yeah. But Minagawa said that there were a few times there were a few forums that they would kind of monitor because a lot of Ogre fans had found this like online forum and they would check in and see what feedback was, and um, they would also watch a lot of television. I don't know exactly mm. why. Uh, But they were trying to stay in touch or I don't know what it was, but he, (laughs) Minagawa says that him and Yoshida and Matsuno were all watching what I am going to guess is a Japanese game show. Yeah. (laughs) But he said that they were watching the TV and they saw live action, like people dressed in suits of armor playing chess with themselves as the chess pieces. Yeah. Right. And that apparently is what gave them the idea to do tactics ogre to take the ogre battle series um idea concept and move it towards this more chess action based or mm. uh, sorry chess tactical um, turn tactical based. Uh, yeah. based kind of system right. instead of um they were just kind of trying to search for new ideas of exactly what to do and it went that way which is hilarious because there were there are tactic there were tactical games at the time yes right specifically fire emblem yes. was a really famous one yes. so it's not they didn't invent the concept but they had to see medieval people on a chessboard in real life <laughs> to actually like a giant chessboard um, to really make the connection that, oh, this is what we want to do. This right. is what the next game should be. Right. And I really want to see that TV program now. Yeah. I don't know where to find it, um, yeah. but that would be fun because there, there's history there now.
1: Yeah, because um, yeah, Ogre Battle, the game that came before this, was a real more real-time strategy. Right. Um, maybe in the vein of, what was that game you were saying?
0: Oh, um, um, Nobunaga's Ambition. Yeah, something yeah. more like
1: that. Uh, like Command and Conquer style Right, a bit. and so it's like your pieces are kind of always constantly moving, and there's not like a pause to stop and have a little turn-based right. battle necessarily. It's, uh, yeah, more real-time strategy. So they went away from that with this one to be more of a, what we know now as the tactical strategy game, yeah. which is combining sort of the traditional Japanese role-playing game. You, you go into a little... Uh, well, you, you take turns, and there's like a speed stat because yeah. even in yeah, yeah. even in a fire emblem, for instance, um, which was popular at the time, you you would go in two phases, more like chess. Well, in chess, you'd move one piece at a time, but oh, right. player one goes and moves every unit in their army in their phase. Yeah, they each and get then their, one move. Their, for their a turn distance yeah. ends, yeah. and then they pass it to the enemy phase. They move all of their pieces in one phase. Um, with tactics ogre. Each individual character, and if you've played Final Fantasy Tactics, you'll be familiar mm-hmm. with this. Um, has their own individual speed stat that is accounted right, yeah. for into a turn order, and so every every individual character, and this will be this will swap. Sometimes maybe you'll get two or three people in your army get to go because their speed stat is higher than the next enemy, but there's a turn order, and. Um, so it, it flips kind of around based on the character's stats, not on the player phase. Or, okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, um, we're going to say something? So one
0: character could go twice before another enemy character gets to go at all. If, right? if, if you have a high speed stat. If
1: that character's speed yeah, stat was high enough happened, and yeah. the enemies was slow enough, I, right. I suppose maybe... Well, in games... Like, I don't know. Or is
0: it just order? It just determines order.
1: I, I would think in a game like this, it would probably just be more order. But there may be gotcha. abilities. For instance, like I know that this is possible in in games like um, Triangle Strategy, which is in the same yeah. vein, right? Yeah, yeah. That there are ways to get your character two turns. But ah, again, right. it's not a game I've played enough to like really be able okay. to confidently comment on in that sense. But um, but yeah, that's that's the idea. Is gotcha, gotcha. speed stat determines turn order, not player phase, but um, uh, basically, th- what I found really interesting is that they weren't expecting ogre battle to be as much of a hit as it was. Yeah. so Matsuno and his team were already kind of in the middle of development on some like three d project.
0: Oh right. yeah, that's that right. Yeah. they
1: ended up totally scrapping and mm. canceling altogether. To start working on a sequel to Ogre Battle instead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he says, for Ogre Battle, if it sold uh, 100,000 copies, I would have been thrilled. And to that end, we developed it with a target audience of about that size. In other words, it was geared to the hardcore. When it sold 400,000 copies, I was somewhat shocked. (laughs) Now that we know we're capable of those numbers, we've designed Tactics Ogre with that larger scope in mind. And so they, they got pulled off of that next project they were working on to come and do this. But like you were saying, Matsuno had already sort of made plans yeah. to leave Quest. He was not happy with the uh, corporate structure, uh, maybe some of their meddling and projects. Yeah. Um, he, he says this somewhere else, and I don't remember if I have a note for it, but uh, he talks about how back in this time, he didn't let anybody else touch the story. Oh, like, really? Very rarely and oh. seldom. Would he approach somebody and be like, hey, can you proofread this for me? Or mm. maybe give me an idea. I'm a little stuck on this. But for the most part, he didn't let anyone touch his scenario. It was his. I right? wonder
0: why that is. <laughs> um, he's given a few interviews where he's talked about how he, he gets really more than most people, I think. He gets really sick of the tropey, typical things yes. that you find in stories. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody does to some degree. Yeah. But I sense that sp- particularly with him. Um, he really tries to, uh, change things up and, and make things different and not redo the things that he's already seen a hundred times before. And my guess is, is that when people would come to him with changes, it was like, oh, you should do what Star Wars did, or you should, (laughs) oh, this other movie I've seen, oh, this was cool. And he's like, dude, I'm doing something different from anything you've ever seen. So like, just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe no thanks for a few minutes.
1: Yeah. He he goes on to say, this is not something you can do anymore. You can't make games this way where one person just like heads an entire sort of aspect of the game like that it, yeah. everything's broken up a team much more collaborative now
0: it is but you know there there's some pluses and minuses to that sure right the collaborative nature of things um especially art i don't know like great artists it's usually not a uh, it's usually not a committee a committee that, that creates great it. art yeah. yeah it's usually um a very inspired individual
1: yeah or at least a small team that is uniform or a
0: small team yeah. yeah that is flexible yeah
1: right exactly so, um, but yeah, he was very particular about exactly what he wanted. An auteur, I guess, in yeah, a certain totally. sense. Um,
0: and with a team of only 15 people, most yeah. of them just uh, programmers. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you, an auteur, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can actually pull that off.
1: I, I would probably compare him in a lot of ways, and we have, say, in our Vagrant Story podcast to um, Hideo Kojima. Oh, Kojima. In terms of, like, yeah. his, um, the way his, his approach to directing and like his insistence on like total like vice grip control yeah. over like how the scenario is presented right. from uh, down to like every <laughs> single aspect right <laughs> um so i could see it both ways i could see it being he being a little bit difficult and not very flexible yeah but i would lean more on the side of an artist in this case than on a corporation mm, <laughs> to yep. try to come in and dictate, Hey, you should yep. do this or that. We're, we're approaching
0: but, this from the perspective of uh quest messed up. That's yeah, the way I that, think, at I least think that's how did. I'm a because pro- if you lose someone like Matsuno, like you just screwed up, he it doesn't up. matter who was at fault. Like you screwed up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so he was already, he had already made his plans to leave. Yeah. And I, I believe, um, uh, Sakaguchi from square had yeah. already, been kind of reaching out to him of a course, little bit now of course probably probably not before tactics ogre came out necessarily okay but there was a great interview shout out to soldier first class on youtube he's been on our podcast before yeah um he did an interview with hironobu sakaguchi when fantasia was coming out just like we did oh right but he asked him a question that i wouldn't have thought to ask which was about like his favorite game and he basically said tactics ogre was it and and he he went on that's like that's so interesting really in-depth, onto why he appreciates Matsuno's storytelling sensibilities so much. Hmm. He thinks he's a brilliant or or, or a genius um, crafter of stories. Something I would actually agree with. I think Matsuno's storytelling is impeccable. It's about as good as it gets in this medium. Oh, yeah. Very good. Um, Based on just what we've played from him. Uh, I
0: also wonder if Square Enix would have been able to retain... Matsuno if Sakaguchi, Sakaguchi was, hadn't was still there hadn't yeah. left as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I I I, I just wonder. feel very certain about that actually but <laughs> okay, um okay. but no he he really respects his storytelling and so yeah. um this basically led to him reaching out and being like I've been wanting I'm talking yeah. about Sakaguchi here. I have been wanting to do a tactical art f- Final Fantasy game for a while. I've mm-hmm. got a whole design doc for it and I think you should come work for us. And right. then he was like, no, let me take that project. I, I would love to do that. And so that's where Final Fantasy Tactics kind of got started.
0: Yeah, and that's but, where Matsuno promptly um, crumpled up Sakaguchi's <laughs> plans and <laughs> threw did out the his own window. thing. That's, exa- that's exactly as, what happened. As yeah. he should have. Yeah,
1: and we went over that in our Final Fantasy yeah, yeah, Tactics podcast. But um, Okay, uh, let's see. Where should we move to here next?
0: Well, uh, one of the concepts with the characters, which was, I thought, pretty funny, actually, this was very common for these games. You saw, we saw We've saw, we talked about this from uh, Metal Gear and a few other games in the past, but they designed characters specifically after celebrities. Okay, so this like was actually clarified.
1: I'm glad you brought oh, this up. Oh, is this wrong? No, no, I think it was true okay. that Matsuno asked uh, um, Yoshida to do right. that. But there's, I think there's a later interview from mm. many, many years after the one you probably looked at, yeah. where it was clarified I didn't want to do that. He asked me to, and I made sure that I actually did original designs. And eventually, he uh, like settled for them.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: that's. <laughs> but, interesting. but I do think there are still remnants of that if you yes. look at the character portraits. They do kind of look. I was gonna. Bring you could that say up. there are resemblances to. Yeah. Um, Actors like Hollywood actors. I think Kevin Costner was Kevin Costner specifically was one. Hamilton. Um, yeah,
0: I thought I can't remember which character this was. It might have been um, might have been Weiss, but somebody looks quite a bit like Ben Affleck. I sure. felt, although sure. I don't know how big of a deal he was back in the mid at that early point. 90s, yeah, because
1: yeah. that wouldn't have been until um, what was the movie him and Matt Damon were in together? Good Will Hunting. That, I think that, that was like that was where 99. their careers really started. Yeah, but, you're
0: probably right about yeah. that. But yeah, they they look quite um, quite Hollywood like
1: sure opinion. yeah i mean th- th- that's definitely true and that was originally uh matsuno's direction yeah like make them look like hollywood actors
0: that's so funny so hollywood's <laughs> like hey let's avoid the tropey story elements but as soon as it's like oh it's akihiko's job it's like oh hey just borrow things from yeah. the others and that's so funny because you get somebody who's so story focused like matsuno and he won't let anyone touch his craft but yeah as soon as he's outside of his wheelhouse so to speak mm. he's doing the same thing he's yeah. he's getting the tropes Borrowing. and he's just like just copy this thing you know and yeah. the artists the um like uh yoshida and them are like no <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't want to do that yeah
1: that's, he goes he does go on to say that in particular some of the things you're referring to with yeah not wanting to fall into tropes were with the way he wrote female characters oh okay. who previous to this um in his words would sort of uh agree with the player character and just support them and everything and not you know what i mean like it's a character that's mostly just there as a constant support and not like their own individual person they're just a person like as an addendum to the main character i guess
0: a way i would put that is that they weren't um characters uh to be struggled with or to be struggled against or that you were like having difficulties like dealing with right it was more or less like uh Icing on the cake. <laughs> sure,
1: and so he yeah. wanted to make sure some of his female characters, in particular, um, were not written that way. That yeah. they were not typical sort of archetypal
0: yeah.
1: um, female or, or heroines that were, you know, support characters gotcha. for the main male character. Um, and he goes on to say in more recent interviews, well, now that's not the case anymore. Now, um, now this sort of, as he calls it, tsundere or type sundere, character yeah. is is very popular in anime um and so you know some of these character types that i was writing were original at the time but maybe not so much now (laughs) but um anyway yeah he he just wanted to make sure because with ogre battle he he felt like um the story really just boiled down to dialogue that you had with the bosses before you fought them there wasn't like really necessarily a deep narrative there and The story had a lot of interaction with the supernatural elements, the gods and angels and things ogre of the world. Did. Yeah, yeah, ogre yeah. The original ogre battle. battle. Gotcha. And so he wanted to get away from that in this one and make it a much more grounded, sort of like realistic, sort of feel to yeah. everything. So there's there's not gotcha. that interaction with the gods, but the gods are very much a part of the culture right. of the religions of the well, way I've, people live. I've noticed that that at the yeah. very
0: beginning of this game, you're basically. Um, what is it you are uh, petitioning the gods for favors like yes. at the very like as soon as you name your character it's like okay now which goddess are you gonna pray to um, and what are you gonna ask for yes. and what are you gonna yes. offer right. and all of that stuff and it's like that's 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 done on purpose as a yes. setup for the game sure
1: yeah and so so it's
0: it, it informs that I guess but then the actual conflicts are human conflicts
1: yes that yeah. that was that was actually exactly what he said he wanted to really z- zoom in on this and make it about human conflicts yeah not about conflicts with gods or yeah. between gods in the right. supernatural in in the first ogre battle you could get these orbs where you could even like summon you know like the gods mm. or supernatural beings and he just wanted to get away from that entirely and focus okay. on the people this time make it a very human kind of story mm. so he says uh, there are six gods that define the elemental affinities and you can use orbs to summon them in battle in the original but unlike oh no maybe you can in this you can use You can use them to summon them in Tactics Ogre, I think he's saying. But unlike Ogre Battle, the gods are not a part of the events of the story. This is a very human drama. Ogre Battle had a lot of fantasy elements like conversations between angels and heavenly knights. Tactics Ogre doesn't have much of that. The presence of the gods is strongly rooted in the foundation of people's lives, but it is really a more zoomed-in drama. Dramatically speaking, I think Tactics or Ogre Battle was very weak. On every map you had some dialogue with a boss. I do think that that's helped... Uh, stimulate the player's imagination, though. You can create the world in your own mind. And personally, I actually like that more. But with Tactics Ogre, we wanted to strengthen the drama and dig deeper into the human condition. That was something players had requested, too. And it seems in line with the direction games are heading anyway. Um, yeah, we we talked about that several times, where like the old, the, the further back you go in terms of games... The more you sort of filled in the details with your mind, right? It was, yes, yeah, yeah. And then, and that's kind of how he felt Ogre Battle's story was designed to be, yeah. but that and that he liked it that way better. But mm. that it seemed that the audience was looking for more, um, drama, more right. intrigue, more like detail in the actual storytelling, in the dialogue, in the you know, uh conflicts back and forth between characters. That was the way the industry was moving. And right, so he yeah. decided to do that for this game. Um, he goes on to say, our initial idea was that if we're going to have branching paths, let's do it in a really dramatic way. So that's, that was a decision made early on. They're going to have three different branching paths for the story. Yeah. Where your choices completely change your position in the story. However, the memory limitations were very strict. This was very true on the Super Nintendo. Every <laughs> friggin' developer I've ever read has talked about yeah. how hard it was to cram everything they wanted to yeah. put into that l- tiny little uh, 50 megabit, I think it was 50 megabit, uh, cartridge size mm-hmm. for a Super Nintendo game. In fact, I think 50 megabit was like the later ones. I think 30 megabit was the earlier cartridges. The earlier cartridges limitations were even mm-hmm. smaller. Um... And our grand plans for a multi-scenario, multi-ending game got cut down to size. Ultimately, those branching storylines end up re- re-converging again in the fourth chapter of the game. Um, depending on how you've lived up, up till then, there are various uh, sub-events and characters uh, that vary past chapter four. In fact, I believe there's a lot of characters you can only recruit on specific paths. So the no, story is really quite different interesting. Okay. depending well. on which path you go on, huh. which is why I think Orc Brand is setting up here for us to make sure we cover all three paths because yeah. you don't really get the same story at all right <laughs> yeah. well, the uh, in between them characters are different yeah. it sounds to me what it's saying here is the side you're even fighting on is different mm. um so quite a lot of differences depending on what you choose to do okay he goes on here for any game at any given time i think you can look at the players and ask what concerns are on their mind For example, when Ogre Battle came out, the Gulf War had just broken out, and you were hearing about it and seeing it on the news every day, whether you intended to or not. The circumstances of war were etched in your consciousness. In that atmosphere, I think it was only natural for a war simulator like Ogre Battle to find an audience, or to put it another way, the people who uh, bought it had those concerns on their mind, again, whether they wanted to or not. Right. Yeah. Um, For tactics ogre, we've got the problems in the former Yugoslavia and Bosnian war all over the news. I don't have a very clear understanding of what's happening, but I know that there are a number of different ethnic uh, groups fighting in Yugoslavia. The world of tactics ogre is extremely complex, so I think it might be rejected out of hand if we weren't immersed in this kind of news right now. But because people are aware of the conflicts in Yugoslavia, people will accept a game with a story like this, I think. (laughs) I could not have made a game like this in the past. If I did, I don't think people would have paid attention. But it can be made now, given the times we're living through.
0: Very interesting.
1: Yeah. So I want to clarify something on that as well, because it became, I think, based on that answer he gave Mm. that it became understood or or at least spread a little bit that he was inspired specifically by that war or that conflict that that one inspired the story or the conflict in the game Gotcha. and apparently that is not the case as much as it is that he was just kind of inspired by the types of human conflicts being seen there um because he goes on to say
0: ethnic conflicts and um Like genocide kind of things,
1: right? Right. Um, Let's see. He goes on here to say... I might have to do a cut here so I can relocate this. Um, Here it is. I'll cut to that. Um, So he says, The narrative was influenced by a number of real-life conflicts and war crimes, including territorial clashes in Syria, Azerbaijan, 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 And Armenia
0: Armenia that's um yeah that's been going on for a long time
1: yeah the Yugoslav Wars and the Rwandan genocide the portrayal of ethnic ethnic conflict was fairly rare in Japanese games at the time he was also inspired by major events uh, during his life in Europe including the fall of of the Berlin Wall which were uh, beginning to see regular broadcast in on Japanese television Rather than focusing only on ethnicity, though, Matsuno wrote this scenario to show how a conflict based on any differences between groups could be resolved.
0: Oh, right. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So he
1: wasn't strictly going to make it only about ethnic conflicts. And base it just on the thing. Right. Okay. He's just using
0: those to tell a broader, like a wider, a greater story.
1: Yeah. Like, those are what were going on in the world and why he thought a story like this would be be important to write about why it would be Mm. relevant why people would accept it but he wasn't necessarily basing the conflicts in the story on the ones happening in real life
0: what i have read is that he was more or less what the conflicts he based the story on was more like medieval stuff like he was more going back to medieval times the roman empire in particular yes and uh that's what it's based on right yeah but yeah he felt like it was marketable so he it was based on those stories, but it was marketed on these stories.
1: Yeah, he, he even uh, talks about how he went and he bought a book on world mythology hmm. uh, when he began writing. Because what he says is he really struggles in um, when beginning to like write a scenario with like seeing yeah. characters or starting it off with characters in Me mind. Me too. Um, yeah. What he does is he creates like the entire history of a world first yeah, yeah. and then picks an era and like decides cool. to put it in that and then the characters start to file in after that. That's so cool. similarly to say Xenogears, which had like six ah. different eras or yes. like epochs of the story to tell, and we were in part I think five in Xenogears. Yeah. Um, Ogre Battle, if I'm not mistaken, was part five. Oh really? And then there was supposed to be or there was a sequel in Mind to that, which they hadn't made yet or uh, what would have followed that the story that would have followed part five, they skipped. It, it wouldn't have worked with the, the, the type of game they were making. The tactics. Stuff. Instead of the tactical turn-based hmm. combat, it would have worked better with their original, like real-time strategy thing. So they ended up going to part seven for tactics ogre. Oh, so shit. it sort of skips a epoch or, or generation mm-hmm. To go to like part seven of this world's history hmm. but one of the characters from part six was sort of brought over okay. late stage to end up being I, I don't know if it was hamilton or somebody like that okay. was sort of brought over from that part of the story into this part of the story but um that's the way he approaches it so he went out and he got this book on world mythologies to right. sort of like see the whole world first right. and then from there sort of start zooming in zooming in zooming in zooming in clarifying clarifying hmm. Um, I think it's a really interesting way to approach writing a story. Right. I, I think it's a really good way to do it, in the sense that if you filled out all of that world first, then there's a lot of things that become easier to write. Right. Um, when you're referencing lands or mm-hmm. uh, different cultures or, or the the way that this or that you know a civilization or society might have evolved and the religious practices they might have. Right. For people like me who maybe start with their character conflicts first right. and then have to try to make those fit into a world <laughs> later Yeah, that, that for at least in my instance, it, it ended up with me having to put on hold a lot of the stories I wanted to tell yeah. because I just didn't have a world that made sense for this to go on in yet. Hmm. And I had to go back and do it this way and then come in and be like, okay, this piece and this piece and this piece work. And now they should go over here and, So I actually have come around on this way of doing it as being like, I think for an epic fantasy like this, you know, if you're, if you're writing something more contemporary or it's not as much a big deal, you're just referring to the real world. But if you're creating a world for it to take place in, I think it's really good idea to start there because you'll run into all kinds of roadblocks of like, Oh gosh, they're going to this town. What type of people should live there? And
0: you end up (laughs) just kind of shoehorning things in. Yeah. Right. Instead of, Yeah, that's fascinating. Something
1: that's organic, something that, like, makes sense, right? Um, So that's the way he approached this. And I, um, well, I really love all of his scenarios, and and, in a large part because the worlds they take place in really feel very grounded and and realistic, right? Yeah, very cool. Um, I also really liked this detail. Um, So this is kind of going, again, on the limitations of the cartridge right story system and, tu- and tutorial text total 300,000 characters not 300,000 words
0: characters 300,000 well, japanese, japanese characters that's, oh actually no i guess not but it yeah. can be words it would japanese. be it would be
1: a lot more words than in english you could have with 300,000 characters
0: 300,000 characters in japanese would probably be double 600,000 or yeah. 800,000 characters in english yeah um that might be why the translation is so difficult. <laughs> <Especially> <laughs> well, it was for all of these games. We talked yeah, about true. this with ff Six totally with
1: Ted Woolsey. We talked yep, about yep. this over and over. It's like, how do you translate when they they led their project? They started out with a specific number of characters, like a ceiling.
0: We yes. can only have this
1: many, yes. ca- like individual Japanese characters, yeah, including in comma, the whole game, and
0: space, <laughs> and period, right? Yeah.
1: And then, okay, now we're translating this to English. In doing so, that doubles. At least. The, the yeah. count of characters. How do we cut half mm. of the characters out and still translate more or less the same thing? That's why I, a I lot.
0: I feel for I really do. That's why a
1: lot of translations in both the, well, especially in the SNES era were mm. kind of janky. And and, yeah. and on top of this, they didn't have divisions, like translation <laughs> divisions, uh, people they hired. They just yeah. they gave these guys dumps. That they had right. to sort of like figure out there were a mess and unorganized. And you have, you have like two weeks to like yep. translate this whole fetching game. <laughs> so,
0: yep. That's one guy.
1: It's one person. <laughs> or maybe two if they were lucky. So anyway. Um, but this part. The limitations of the Super Famicom led Matsuno to stage the narrative scenes like a theatrical play. Yes, oh, so we've,
0: we talked about that. Okay.
1: We've talked about this a lot in the past too. Yeah, it's FR6, nice to see most recently. it's nice to see a developer like directly state that that's how they did it because that's yeah. exactly how it's felt to that's me. That's how it feels. is these types of games, particularly RPGs, a lot of what we talk about from this era, from the sort of mid or maybe early to mid to late 90s, so that SNES to PS1 yeah. era of RPGs. They felt like little tiny characters on a stage. Yeah. But even in some cases, a little tiny diorama stage. A diorama, yeah. A little (laughs) miniature. Yeah, Yeah, like a little miniature.
0: But at the very least, it felt like you were in the balcony looking down at an opera on a stage. So it's like you got that three-quarters perspective from the side. right. And then you're up high, so you're looking down on everything so you can see it all properly. Um, at the very least, I know for Final Fantasy 6, it really seems to have been designed that way
1: intentionally. And I feel like that led into a lot of Scenario writing, like say the opera scene in Final Fantasy, yeah, VI, yeah, of course, it, it just lends itself to it that. It just fits, and yeah. the animations are really big, just like uh, stage acting differs yep. from th- um, from cinematic acting because
0: you can't see the characters' faces. As no, well. <laughs> right? So they have to over exaggerate, and yeah. that's pixel art, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. and so this was this was designed uh, in very much the same way. I, I, I liked that that was like directly mentioned. It just sort of, I guess, cements some of the things yeah. we've been saying in the past about that. Um. Here's another interview from 1993. Um, During the development, as many are aware, we used songs from the... the, So this is for an ogre battle, not for Tactics Ogre. But this is something I wanted to bring up because it's been um, mentioned to us many, many times because I think we missed some of the references in Final Fantasy Tactics specifically Uh, to Queen songs. Okay. Um, But uh, yeah, is a huge fan of Queen. Oh, apparently. I see. Okay. And okay. so a lot of names, a lot of things were sort of like um, motifs or, or uh, what do you call it? Homages yeah. to Queen. So we used songs from the band Queen as motifs for the story in the world of Ogre Battle. It's right. probably not entirely legal. But for <laughs> Quest, <laughs> this game uh, was our big debut and a bold venture in which we Uh, Had resolved to not copy the pre-existing style gameplay or otherwise of earlier RPGs We knew we were taking a risk, but we wanted to challenge ourselves with a new kind of game One where for example just leveling up wasn't a guarantee that you'd uh, see the good ending The ultimate goal would be to make a game that people would look back on and say it was it had set a new standard or was the predecessor of a new style Right. so whether Ogre Battle was that or not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't played it. But Tactics Ogre certainly was. Seems to be, Because yeah. this is a whole style yeah. of tactical RPG that exists now mm. that this and then the follow-up to this, which was Final Fantasy Tactics made popular, which led to games like Triangle Strategy just a yeah. couple years ago and things like that. You're starting to see a lot more games like this. Right. Um, there's one coming out soon called Unicorn something or other it's a really weird <laughs> name but um that's from the same developer that makes like uh oh i got it right here um odin sphere oh yeah. forget the name of that studio but they no, have a very no. very cool distinct art style nice that they thing. make everything in they've yeah. developed a lot of really po- muramasa the demon muramasa. Blade, was oh, the game i was okay, thinking yeah, okay. of okay um but odin's Sphere, muramasa dragon's crown and Thirteen Sentinels is a game a lot of people have been asking us to cover.
0: Thirteen Sentinels. Yeah,
1: that's that's like an RPG, um, apparently very mm-hmm. very good. good. But um, Grand Knight's History is another tactical sort of RPG, and Unicorn Overlord, which is coming out soon, is is made in the similar vein. Um, we'll probably end up covering that not on the podcast, but certainly on the channel in some form. Um. But anyway, I actually kind of forgot the reason why I was even bringing them up. But the point is. This type yeah. of tactical RPG was sort of uh, invented by Yasumi Matsuno with yeah, Tactics yeah. Ogre. It was nice. they purposefully went away from Fire Emblem hmm. in the way, the key ways we talked about earlier, player the phases, yeah. yeah. And so, like, this is almost I would say, if not more popular than that style, because more games are made this way now. Oh, right. In this style than in Fire Emblem style. Yeah, yeah. But Fire Emblem is still very popular. So I'm not going to say it's more popular. But at least as popular. Um, as far as a method for developing tactical RPGs. So I feel like they they really hit on some gold with this particular formula they came up with. It really worked. Um, okay, here's another. Got another interview here. I don't know if I want to say this one. Well, I'll, I'll just kind of read a lot of this one because there's some good tidbits in here. So this is um, Whistlebs with 4gamer.net. Okay. Uh, they said, you did state in, on Twitter that Tactics Ogre was a starting point for you. He says, indeed, that's because I was very straightforward about what I wanted to make and what I did and what I, did, and what I found good about it. It's a game that no doubt has a great meaning for me. Likewise, I didn't want, um, didn't want him, I think he's talking about someone on the development staff, to talk about the game script because that was something I was in charge of. Of course, I would sometimes ask for advice myself or have other people proofread it for me, but nobody was to touch the overall story for the game, we kinda touched on this earlier, (laughs) or the direction of dialogues. Nowadays, you can't make games like that. Uh, 4G says, indeed, players also have a conservative side. By the way, I always meant to ask you this. Do you base the world of Tactics, uh, the tactics series on anything? I'd like to know its roots. He says, I'm not basing it on anything specifically. All I knew is that I didn't want to make another morality play where you have to defeat evil. So the the very strong black and white good versus evil scenario was something he did not want to do. He wanted to make each faction more complex than that. And, well, they've got a point here, or this is a little bit more of a gray area. That's more yeah. where he was – where his headspace was.
0: If he's talking about wanting to uh, create a scenario whereby ethnic conflicts can be solved, calling one the good guy and one the bad guy is yeah. not how you do it. That's not how you're going to do that. <laughs> you're going to have to make a, take a more nuanced approach. Sure. That, that takes into account all sides. Yeah.
1: When writing the games, I just focused on the concept of a world where it's not so easy to tell the good from the bad, just like the real world. To tell the truth, in the original Ogre battle, I ended up mixing gods and demons in the plot, which took away from the feeling of reality, or made it ambiguous. In Tactics Ogre, I corrected that. I developed it as a more somber fantasy, keeping in mind that I wanted to make it feel real basically it's a story about people living in a world like the european middle ages or ancient roman empire adapted to make sure the values of that age would be accepted by people of this age oh, that's I probably don't, important
0: I, well, yeah, It probably is important but i doubt he did that
1: <laughs> I, it's very hard to do <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a tall I mean, task middle ages may maybe middle ages you can't go you can't go to the pre-christian roman empire at the very least you can't yeah. go to the um, you know human sacrifices and uh, the <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. I think what I, he I means wonder, by that I is, about
1: that. I think what he means by this, it's tough when things are translated, right? Yeah, is yeah. that he adapted certain elements of the Roman Empire, but not the ones that wouldn't have been <laughs> accepted by people today.
0: Okay, so I, he's basing I, it I, on I, that, but not
1: entirely in the sense that there are certain things, obviously, that would not be acceptable right. to like the modern audience. I, I think that's more <laughs> what he means. That would be can, my can, can. guess. I didn't want a game about which side is right. Whatever the player chooses is okay, and I just kept in mind that the choices should have an effect on the story. You know, this is something that um, I've seen a lot of developers, uh, especially when I did um, uh, Suikoden 1 and 2. They said very similar things. I wonder if this is just like a Japanese mindset on like, a lot of conflicts in the world because they're not yeah. necessarily involved in them too much in they the modern
0: age anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. obviously World War Two, but right. since World War Two, yeah, it seems that they're kind of just as a country more observers of this conflict around the world. I got and that. Feel from maybe Yoko Taro as well. Yeah, feel a little bit like yeah. That's that's a great other yeah. example because we've covered both With near games yeah. on the channel Yeah, where same approach. they see themselves as like a not not a mediator but a third party looking from the outside and, and seeing this conflict going, well, I kind of see the points of both. Right. You know? And so from that perspective, maybe designing games like this makes more sense where they're like, listen, it's, you can't just call them evil. You can't just call them evil. There's, there's a nuance to this, right? You
0: know, Japan's so funny because they have been that like quote evil empire before. And these are their grandparents and stuff. And they, and they are what they are now because of their history, um, but they they can only be where they are now after having their past um, and having to kind of accept that reality, I think it does lead them towards being able to look at what everyone else is calling evil and say, well, hold on. Yes, that should stop, but it doesn't mean that the people are all bad because that was my grandpa. Right. I mean, and that, they get into a little bit um, a more nuanced. I wonder how things are going to go as things keep moving into the future, as less and less people remember that time period. Yeah, right. Um, especially when the atomic bombs were dropped and all that. Right.
1: Likewise, I didn't want... Oh, I already read that one. Uh, oh, I, I skipped way up. I didn't do that. When I came up with the project for Tactics Ogre, we had reached a point where everybody was tired already of stories that developed in a single thread. So you could say we also made it as an antithesis to those other games, making it a point to create a branched story. Uh, G4 asks, in that case, which movie or novel served as a formative experience for you? I really want to know the route that you followed to get here today. Yasumi Matsuno. As for a movie, I loved Star Wars a lot. Uh, Everybody from, I think, his time period would have, right? (laughs) What I find most interesting about it, however, is the delusional period while we had to wait between a new hope and empire strikes back. Again, I don't think delusional is the best translation there. It, it's clarified yeah. a little bit you see here. You see back then Star Wars was filled with a lot of puzzles. So until the next movie came out, we could have these I delusions see. How about he's using the word delusional. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about this or that or what this must mean this. Right. So delusional in the sense that they don't really know what the story's <laughs> right. going to be but they think kind they of know it. making it up a little bit. Um, yeah. you see this a lot. Mm with uh, within the RPG sort oh, of yeah. umbrella community now yeah. in between uh, sequels, particularly something like say the Final Fantasy 7 remake right now, where there's just uh, yeah. there's just tons of theory channels right. Kingdom Hearts might be another good one oh my gosh where it's like <laughs> yes. people are trying Zelda's
0: to
1: are trying to piece together. What this hint or small thing right. might mean in the light. Lo- this was hidden yeah. on purpose, and 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 it's it's hilarious to watch. Now, for me, who right. doesn't really get into theory well, crafting like, so much, like
0: you're Japan, you're an outside observer, <laughs> right, looking at these people's little petty squabbles, and you're and you're seeing it from a different perspective. You know,
1: yeah, it's just like <laughs> they're almost always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they but, are, but I don't say that. Uh, as a means of making fun of anybody because I say the same thing about sports broadcasters oh, or, sure, right, or opinion right. people on yeah. talk shows who they, they they Spend their entire day looking at stats and trying to like recognize the patterns and like yeah. predict what's gonna happen yes. And they they, they keep and track and they bet hard. like sports betting yes. is a huge thing Oh, it is, well, yeah. but here's all the stats and here's what you should know as you go into the yeah. bets for this week right and and you just it I, I laugh <laughs> every single week end uh, particularly the NFL seasons on right now because of how crazy something can go the opposite direction of what everyone thought yeah like uh, Jacksonville Jaguars last week I think they were playing the 49ers or something who had been on a losing streak. Yep. And and uh, there was this was predicted to be a tight game but that the Jaguars would have an edge. They have a more complete team, the quarterback of uh, you know Brock Purdy on the 49ers, we don't really know about him. All right. these things I heard all week in these predictions, everyone was picking the Jags. Mm-hmm. Everyone's picking them.
0: Right.
1: And they get beat by like 40 points or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> yeah. just there's yeah. such an element of unpredictability that is just a universal
0: yeah that almost all human human beings
1: don't want to accept
0: right they they
1: they they crave this ability to be able to predict what's going to happen next yes and and everybody keeps track of it particularly in the sports media realm of how often (laughs) they're right or it's really important that they be viewed as somebody who's right more often than they're wrong
0: yes um there's some but tribal mentality. I, I
1: literally don't care who you are, or how yeah. smart you are, or how good your analysis is, or how deep your analytics go, or how many layers. You don't freaking know what's going to happen right. next Sunday, and 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 I, I have sort of the same mindset for you. Don't know what's going to happen in this chapter two of the story coming up. You right. just don't. Yeah. They didn't hide everything you needed to know in part one. <laughs> they probably didn't even
0: know exactly. They, they, they've yeah. said
1: that they don't. Right. In, in Final Fantasy VII Remake's case, uh, they have said they have taken the story. Uh, they didn't plan at all from the beginning. They they left it open so that they could see fan reaction and sort of like make, we, we could go three or four ways with this. Right. And based on how they react, we may go this way or that way. So (laughs) anything in part one was not like some like master 40 chess plan that was like leading into part two. (laughs) They were literally waiting to see how you reacted to it Mm. before they started really planning the next part. And in the process of game development, which we talked about a lot of times, a lot of things change they have to because you're going to run into roadblocks blo- and problems and we're not really oh, yeah. going to be able to do this the way we wanted to originally right. we're going to have to shift directions so you it's just not going to be what you time. thought it was yeah, so yeah. all of your theory crafting will amount to this every yeah. time and i'm not saying you i'm not saying that to say you shouldn't have theory crafting or if you enjoy it you yeah. shouldn't go for it like do do you i'm just saying i don't participate in it because i know as much as I sit here and try to, like, piece it all together, the puzzle will not look the same right. in the future. It just won't.
0: I think the the worst thing that can happen is you theory craft something that is better than the actual game. Yeah. Um, and that is a real—that's a risk. That's, that's, that's happened a, a lot. That's a bad thing, right? Because yeah. you don't—that ruins things a little <laughs> bit. Like, it's cool to wonder and speculate, but then you have to give up— your ideas for when the real thing shows up yeah but whenever you came up with an idea cooler than what it actually ended up being yeah and this is one of the theories for uh, game of thrones why he's never gonna write that last yeah book. right <laughs> he 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 knows well anyways people either correctly or incorrectly guessed what he was gonna do and it was either better or worse and he kind of just doesn't want to finish it now yeah um but yeah that's that's pretty funny and that there's a lot of um there's a lot of that happening now. I can't remember. I was going to make another point. But.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I thought it was funny that Yasumi Matsuno also enjoyed this process during yeah, the, of the time of Star Wars. Star Wars, right? Oh, what's going to happen? Yeah. But you know, as much as there's nothing you could have done, I don't care. There's nobody who called Empire? the twist yeah, that yeah, Darth sure. Vader was Luke's father. Nobody yeah, called that. I think that
0: was unlikely. Right? Not so. least because Obi-Wan literally says he killed your father. Like, <laughs> yes. there, that's open and shut, right? Yeah. To any theory crafter, it's like, no, the canon is... Obi Wan said, Yeah, he killed your dad. So, no, and if anyone even brought that up, they would have been just chased out of the town square. The people
1: not accounting for the unreliable narrator, which is exactly. one of the most common, uh, you but, know, okay, tools in its Once you throw spell.
0: in the unreliable narrator, you can't theorycraft. Like, it's, a, it's, <laughs> I know, like, right? You can't because anything's <laughs> back on the table now. Yeah, exactly. It was all a lie. And yeah. that really, oh man, that's funny. Yeah
1: uh let's see should i read more about the star wars stuff i think we're good with that he talks about different manga series and things that were important to him
0: oh
1: yeah um i was also born in the back country of niigata and back then we didn't have internet or cell phones to communicate with the world outside in summer we could at least play baseball or whatever but once winter arrived we remained buried under three meters of snow and couldn't do anything even going out to buy some new magazine was a pain so our only pleasure was staying indoors to make do with the manga and novels at hand, or watch whichever t- uh, movie was on TV. Besides that, we all, uh, all that was left was our imagination. Mm. So that was his experience
0: growing up. Niigata is out there, by the way. It's really far north, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's north of Tokyo. It's about halfway between Tokyo and uh, Hokkaido. And it's just, it's on the other, it's on the Sea of Japan side. It's like on uh, the, the Russia, Korea side the of, the, west of the coast. Side? Yeah, the west side. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that would be. Uh,
1: yeah, it'd be a cold place. It would be colder and
0: it would be more mountainous. It'd be more rural. And, yeah. yeah.
1: So this next part, and this will kind of wrap us up on dev history. Um, this was, and there's a lot of this in here that'll be spoilers for the game's ending. So I'm not going to read those parts. Um, but this was translated or I, I think this was translated or maybe it wasn't translated, but summarized by somebody. So it's a, it's a Japanese interview oh, yeah. and somebody's sort of giving a summary of more okay. or less what was said. So, so these aren't okay. like direct quotes gotcha. necessarily. So it says that Matsuno said that he's actually bad at starting with characters. I kind of talked about this already. He has to start of the whole world's history first and then decide which part of the history to write about.
0: That's cool.
1: Um, I'm going to skip that part because that's spoilers. Um, Matsuno says that the... Okay, this is also spoilers. Chapter 3 stuff. ABC routes. I'm going to skip all that. We don't want to talk about endings. We don't talk about choices. We don't talk about what characters do. Um, This is he talks about writing female characters. We already touched on that. Uh, Oh, I I did want to talk about Denim and why that name was chosen. I, I thought this was hilarious. I, I read this. Okay, it's so, so yeah, cuz
0: there's a character called Levi also. Yes.
1: <laughs> and, it's literally based on jeans.
0: No, okay, back in the 90s. But there's a reason for it yes. that makes sense. Back yeah. in the 90s there was an obsession with jeans. Hmm. In Asia, in particular, and yeah. it was people would buy jeans in the United States and then sell them in Japan because uh, you could sell them. You could make a pretty good amount. Um, it was very expensive. It was it was, uh, it, it, was, was, it, was a, it was
1: a intentional bug. Uh, the, the production of blowguns
0: costs <laughs> less right. than the sale. There you go. Right. <laughs> the production oh of jeans
1: or buying of jeans in a, in America and then selling them, you could sell them for a profit.
0: The people I know who in infinite, in Japan, money, bug in real infinite money bug in real life. Infinite money bug in real life. You just have to live longer um but the people i know who um and we knew we've known several people who've lived in japan in the 90s and uh they would always t- say that that jeans yeah. were all the craze man everybody wanted some jeans and it was hard to get them and they were expensive mm. and if you brought if you were an american coming to japan you know people your friends or anybody would always ask you like hey can you bring some jeans bring some blue jeans like i really <laughs> need some blue jeans yeah
1: Um, Not a big deal anymore. Yeah, so what he says here is uh, denim and Vice's names, well, I guess it was Levi, maybe Vice, anyway, was a a change to the name later, were respectively inspired by the material denim and the clothing brand Levi, connecting their origin to the world's lower social
0: ranks. Ah, so to people okay. who wear
1: jeans, okay. being of like lower class, when these materials were originally made. Obviously sure, today sure. everyone wears jeans. Right, yeah. Uh, jeans are a part of normal fashion for no matter who you are. But I think maybe at the time yeah. denim was co- sort of created, there's a lot of like minors or like Yo, okay. these gotcha. types of people. We needed yeah. like a durable, tough material to wear.
0: Right.
1: That kind of thing, right? So that, that was why they named them that. Was hmm. uh, It was about social class. Um, and then similarly, Kachua was was given her name denoting her higher social status. So I don't what know why. Kachua? Kachua's emotional instability and obsession with denim was designed in contrast starkly against many fantasy heroines at the time. We've already talked about that. Um, but I don't know why Kachua, Kachua. would be that. I don't that, know what that word would... The origins of it, or its prefix and suffix mean—that's uh, kind of more your domain than mine. Yeah, I didn't—I didn't, I didn't <laughs> even
0: think anything of Kachua. Uh,
1: and I'm, I would guess also it's an Asian word, not, you know. Kachua, yeah, maybe. But anyway, apparently her name was chosen for that reason too. So that's why the name is denim, because it's like a guy who wears jeans, you know, lower class, minor type guy. You know, he's not—he's not part of the royalty. No. All right, let's move into motifs and themes a little bit to wrap this up. Matsuno brings up how it is frequently said that Tactics Ogre is based on the Yugoslav Wars. I kind of mentioned this. Yeah. Says that it is by and large a misunderstanding. It is one of the motifs, but he did not base the game on any one conflict. He brings up the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi or Tutsi by the Hutu in Rwanda as an example of the sort of information that influences him. And points out how there are still similar conflicts around the world right now, such as in Syria. Um, The interviewer asks if Matsuno means that the theme of Tactics Ogre is how the problems of the multi-ethnic country head towards a conclusion with the flow of history. Matsuno says that it is not limited to ethnicity. Like the current BLM movement in America, as long as there are two or more people with differing values, there will always be conflict. And the theme of Tactics Ogre is how that sort of conflict is resolved and what sort of sequence the conflict goes through as a part of history.
0: Wow, that's a recent interview. Yes, this <laughs> is
1: very recent. So this is something that I, I really wanted to point out as like a an ending piece to this episode. Okay. This is what we're going to be looking at okay. as the story. Ethnic conflict. Um, and, yeah. Well, not necessarily ethnic conflict. That's That's those ethnic conflicts or are, are, were at the time happening, but it's, it's how does, how do conflicts get resolved? Gotcha. Okay. It is, how do we find a resolution to conflicts of this kind mm. between often ethnic groups, right. but I'll read it again. Like the current BLM movement in America, as long as there are two or more people with differing values, there will always be conflict and the theme of tactics ogre is how that sort of conflict is resolved and what sort of sequence the conflict goes through as a part of history. So, um, this is... I look is,
0: forward to seeing how that gets resolved.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, this is, it piqued my curiosity yeah. immensely.
0: that sentence right there, as long as two people have different values, conflict yes. will happen. Yes. I see one solution to that. I don't see more at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, one solution is get rid of all values. It's probably not a good solution in my opinion uh, the other solution is to uh, make change them from having different values to change them to having the same values and yeah. now you've solved the problem well again.
1: here's another thing I might want to clarify with this I don't think he's necessarily saying here's the answer for how to resolve conflicts. okay as much as it is this is how conflicts are resolved
0: gotcha okay and so it's whether it's a or not fact and yes not a should
1: yes uh, this, what, a prescription in, in the course of history this is how this goes okay Yeah, war one side wins. We (laughs) we are looking at human, how the human condition affects these types of conflicts in the way they typically go, and we're sort of examining that through these characters. And of course, we as the player or or the audience will sort of have our own ideas about what is or isn't wrong, and so create you know discussion and things like that. But I'm not sure he's necessarily. Aiming here to
0: to prescribe to, <laughs> to solve the world to uh,
1: give a a universal resolution like yeah. this is how this should be solved. Oh,
0: okay, okay, I misread that. I um, it then.
1: Uh, yeah, I figured that would be the case because again, yeah. when these things are translated, it's it's a little tough to yeah get across like the particulars of what they really intend to say.
0: <laughs> but if he's saying this is how these things are resolved. <laughs> one side wins and the other side adopts their values and that's how these things are resolved if you're yeah. just being descriptive about it
1: well I'm, I'm interested I'm really interested to see this because I, I think the older one gets like the more aware you are of world conflicts yeah, yeah. like when I was during the Gulf War, I had no idea what was going on. I was right. a little kid. Yeah, I had no clue what was going Dude, on outside my little world. I got right? a
0: pretty new history book when I was in maybe second or third grade, and I was yeah. like, "Sick! It's about war, you know, because war's like cool yeah. when you're a kid." And I opened it up, and it said, "And it was just a list of wars, and one of them said Gulf War 1991, and then like question mark, like it, it as if because it, it was published when it was the book was published, that war hadn't ended yet, and it was very close to then. Yeah. And I had this weird realization that I still remember to this day, like, there's war happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like, right now. Because I thought I was reading about the past. I was yeah. like, this is happening now. It really hit me, and it's stuck with me ever since.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we were into middle school, junior high school around the time 9-11 happened. That's, what, that's when yeah. I remember, for the first time, I starting school. to become more aware of, right. like, world conflicts and politics and things like that, and actually paying attention to it a little more. But it wasn't until... I would say maybe the last 10 years of my life mm. where it's really started affecting me. Oh, where on, on like a level of like philosophical thinking, like how sure. ought we oh, approach right, um, resolving these conflicts? Like this is unacceptable. Right. Like,
0: this, this can't, we can't, this, 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 cannot,
1: continue. this <laughs> cannot continue.
0: This cannot right, continue. Yes.
1: Quote. Having thoughts like that. Yeah. Where there's a part of me that's going, okay, how uh, starting to really form, a stronger sort of moral core. Yeah. How ought we approach right. conflicts like say the one that's happening now right now between Palestine and Israel right. or before that Ukraine and Russia,
0: right? Like or Yemen or t- we've mentioned Armenia and Azerbaijan before. Yes. That's still happening. Yes. Like just uh, like a month or so ago, uh, another, a whole village of like Christian people in Armenia just got completely wiped out and they all had to relocate because Turkey is um, kind of causing, yeah. causing problems. right? right. Um, these things, and especially when you hear that back in the 90s this was happening, yes. and then you look into it more, and Armenia's been like, you know, the genocide's been going on since like before World War One, like with yeah. the Ottoman Empire. And like these things are still happening in yeah. the same place. Right. It's just and
1: what, what I've noticed, and I mean this is probably sort of maybe at the root cause of the problems to begin with, mm. are the extreme sort of like um black and white thinking that a lot of people seem to take it's it's these are the good guys and these are the bad guys and this is why and i have spent and and i don't like to talk about it because for the most part my resolution always ends up being i don't feel like i really know enough because to be able to take a strong stance yeah i just feel like i'm not quite there yet i gotta right. keep researching more. and, and I, yeah i see what you're saying and I, I listen to this guy's podcast or i listen to these people who are there you know palestinians giving their right. uh you know experience explaining what's going on there and right. and and i'm listening to all this and and it's it's just it's really hard Mm. especially for conflicts that go back this many years. And this atrocity happened in the 1950s or whatever. And then this one happened here. And, yeah. it, and you got this long history yeah. of, of this conflict and it's, it's um, it, it seems impossible to solve it in a way that is not just, well, it's these guys, we're going to, we're going to yeah. pick this side being yeah. bad. And then you just don't get to live there anymore, which I don't yeah. think is an acceptable freaking answer. Right. Nope. <laughs> but, I, I, all of these people deserve a freaking place to live right. w- where they live safely and, and without the threat of the other attacking them or or uh, oppressing them or whatever it might be. Right. Um, but, of course, I don't have the answers to this. And the smartest people in the world and our world leaders who are not necessarily always no. the smartest yeah, people. Not
0: the same. There's no they, overlap. They do the, not. The Venn diagram is They like don't have good
1: answers. <laughs> I haven't found anybody who has the answer yet. Yeah. Um, and so it usually ends up, like you said, just the side with the stronger military ends yeah. up winning. And then they write the history of how that went. And that's tragic and, and hard. Um, yeah. But all of this is to say, not necessarily to bring this up or to stir the pot or to, like, make people angry or to take sides or to, to be the person That's who's the fence-sitter, anyway. not taking sides, and oh, and, and you, you have a very privileged position. Listen, I've yeah. heard all of that. <laughs> I get all of it. I hear all of it. I am open to all of it. Yes, yes, and yes. I accept a lot of criticism yeah. that comes my way and my good possible um, uh, uh, implicit, <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know, How my inaction is a problem. I'm I'm with you on all of that. I am absolutely. I promise you, (laughs) if you sat in this room with me in a conversation, we would come to pretty uh, common uh, a common uh, position on on a lot of these things. And Mm. I think a lot of people do. I I think it's a lot more the media stirring up the tribalism. Uh, And, and, and people who follow the media personalities, who I'm going to like, agree with what that dude says, who's stirring it all up to begin with for the clicks. So (laughs) anyways, my whole point of bringing this up is that because my mind is now preoccupied in the same way Yasumi Matsuno's was during Mm. Gulf war conflicts, as he was probably around that age, maybe a little younger than I am. This is really exciting to me to play yeah, this game very... now because I feel like these are the types of themes that are relevant for all conflicts, no matter what time period you live in. This would have mm-hmm. been true for people if they had had this game to play during World War II or World War One before that or the Civil War before that <laughs> right, right, right. or whatever. It doesn't matter what conflict it is. I think he's mostly just kind of zooming in on why these conflicts occur sure. and the way that they are resolved and uh, examining the human condition in all of this, maybe even some criticisms of, I'm expecting some criticisms of human nature in how these conflicts are uh, stirred up and and started and why they are motivated in the first place. And so knowing Matsuno's incredible, I think nuanced storytelling prowess, Mm -hmm. I think there's gonna be some really rich stuff here that will be enlightening for all of these reasons. Good. So hey, I'm very excited. This is excited very timely
0: play. then. This is very timely. I um, think so. I
1: think it'll always be timely. Cause... You sold me. <laughs>
0: <Unfortunately>. <laughs> that's just,
1: there's Unfortunately, always something like that going on in the world. The world's a big place and there's a lot of different groups who have very yep. different beliefs that come in conflict with each other. And, yep. and, and there's uh, only so many resources. You know, what What can we do to start thinking about how we can change I'm not even saying about solve. I'm saying how can we individually start thinking about how we approach conflicts with, because in the end we can't do anything about like the more macro conflicts going on. I can't go out there and have anything, any effect on like the wars going on right right now. I have no, I have no control over that. No, I do have control over conflicts with my family members, conflicts with my friends, conflicts with my neighbors, conflicts with people in my community. Um, even if we were to get more into politics with, uh, debates we could have in local community councils on what should we do for this uh, little local community projects? How should we spend the money? Right. How can I handle when I come in conflict with somebody like that and resolve it in a way that is better than what will probably happen with these characters in this
0: story? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, you know, Matsuno too well. (laughs) Um, I like that you take it there, that it's like, you can't, fix these things yourself, no. but you can fix the things that you can fix yeah. and, you know, be wise enough to know when you're, you know, prescribing solutions to things that you know nothing about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like So that. that's
1: what I'm looking forward to. I think that's what the focus of this uh, analysis will be. For those of you who have not watched our podcast before, that typically is the direction we take it. Yeah. We don't focus so much on a perfect summary of the events or... The lore of the, the world. game yeah. It's more about... Can we touch on that, though? What is the thematic premise? What is the core of the story trying to say to us? And how do we then apply that somehow to our own lives? That's kind of really the focus of what we do, the type of analysis we do. It's more of a literary analysis. And so reading that gives me sort of... A clear focus as yeah, to what faces. I should be looking for yeah. when I'm reading the dialogue, playing the game, you know, experiencing the story. How is what is he trying to say about that? So that's that's what we're going to try to figure out over the course of this podcast series. Oh, this is gonna be fun! So please look forward to episode two. Orc Brand will be with us for that. Yes, um, there may be some other Tactics Ogre um, content about tips on how to get started which version you should play that may be coming here in the the next week or two um but we'll see it and no promises um i still got to make the super mario rpg video that we filmed so um anyway thanks for watching everybody we'll see you next week